Well, today in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, we're going to see a Bible command, and then I would like to use some other verses from the Bible to help you understand, dads, how you can fulfill that command. All right, so Ephesians uh, chapter uh, 6, actually not verse 4. Well, actually, let me look at it here because I'm confused between verse 1 and 4. So I'm just going to turn there and look at it myself. All right, it is verse 4. All right, here we go. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. So as our country celebrates Father's Day weekend today, um, we must realize that as a country, we're experiencing a crisis of fatherhood. It's estimated that over 25% of children living in this country do not have a father in their life at all. Of single households, 80% of those households are led by a single mother. And by the way, we need to encourage single moms. They've got their work cut out for them. But this is causing in our society great problems. There are uh, crime that is increasing, but also when children lack a father in their home, their education uh, career and their future careers are in jeopardy. They typically... The societal statistics show they don't make as good as an income. So they live in poverty themselves growing up. And so it's, it's a vicious cycle. And the encouraging thing is today that we as a church have the answer for our country. And we can actually be a part of the solution. So as we go out of here, it's not just a message to make you dads feel good, which I hope that you will, and encourage you with some knowledge on how you can be a good biblical father. But I don't want you to stop with your own family. I want you to take it to a family who doesn't have a father figure in their lives. And I would like for you to consider investing in those children so that they can see what a Christian man and what a biblical father is like. Now, I'll be honest with you. My own family has benefited from that. At the age of 14, my wife was adopted by a Christian family. She grew up without a father. Her father passed away um, when she was seven. And uh, so she didn't have a father growing up. And uh, her mom's a single mom, tried lots of different things to try to make a living. And they were not wholesome. Many of those things were illegal. Let's just put it that way. And so when my wife uh, came to know Christ as her Savior... Uh, one of her classmates uh, had been inviting her to church and uh, said, you know, hey, why don't you come over and hang out with us? And so she began observing what a Christian family was like, what a Christian father would do. And uh, so there were some very unusual set of expectations that my wife had when she started watching a Christian family live it out in the home. Uh, First of all, it was uh, very unusual to have a Christian father But then to see the husband and wife get along and to see a loving father bringing up his children and so forth. And it was because of Don Morgan's influence um, and his asking his wife, Linda, hey, can we adopt Janice? And so uh, in ninth grade, they started the process of legal guardianship. And then her freshman year in college, she actually went through a legal adoption. And uh, because of that godly influence... Uh, her future was changed by the grace of God. Uh, Biological siblings have not fared so well. And so we know that it's the grace of God that has brought about this difference. So I know firsthand that when a Christian family gets involved, it does make a difference. And so you can make a difference in our society. In my previous ministry, we had uh, a Christian adoption agency called Hosanna Homes that was in Alameda County, um, near the city of Castro Valley, they would come and present their ministry. And some of our people uh, decided to uh, support them financially. Uh, Some people started the process of uh, foster care. 
Uh, we had one family, through a death of one of their own children in the womb, uh, end up adopting children and being a, a pivotal factor for those children in their life. And uh, by the grace of God, we saw uh, our church make a difference in our county. And I would encourage you to, to do the same thing. As we think about our Christian school, um, if there were ever a situation that were to arise where children would have to be separated from their parents, would we want to turn them over to just anybody in our county? Or would we be willing to be signed up with San Benito County uh, child placement services to be an emergency home for those classmates of your children or the children that are attending our Christian school, for them to have a Christian home to go to and to have a father figure. So there are some things that, that we can do as a church and be ready to do um, and get qualified uh, through the county to do certain things. So let's look today at our text with not just our own home in mind, um, but also with our community in mind. Now, ladies, we know this is a Father's Day's message, right? And it's always hard on you because you're going to feel like you're excluded. Well, biblically speaking, Paul was a spiritual father. He had Timothy as his son in the faith. So maybe you're not a dad, but you're just a Christian man. You can win somebody to the Lord and disciple them, mentor them in the Christian walk, and you can be a spiritual father. Ladies, you can be a spiritual mom. And if you just take your Bibles and go over to Titus chapter 2, ladies, you can find out that the mature Christian woman can be a mentor for the younger Christian woman. Um, young families need mentoring. I remember when we brought our firstborn home from the hospital um, and put him to bed, just the uncontrollable crying. And so we had the heat cranked up and we had him, uh, you know, his onesie t-shirt on underneath and then we had him wrapped up in a, in a full uh, kind of flannel uh, from head to toe pajama set and then we had him wrapped up in a swaddling blanket with a blanket over the top of him. No wonder why the kid was crying, right? And so we just finally picked up the phone and, and Janice called Linda, why won't this kid be quiet, you know? So she just started walking her through it, you know. Hey, you know, how do you have the kid dressed? What's the temperature in the house? Is he fed, you know? Have you burped the kid, you know? All these things and it's uh, why don't you try to take some layers off? I bet he's probably just too hot. Work just like that. So you can be a mentor to the younger mothers. So when we talk about spiritual fatherhood today, yes, we're going to talk to fathers. And by the way, we live in crazy California. Father is a gendered word. You can't get around it, all right? Mother's a gendered word, all right? I know that crazy California likes to change mothers to birthing people, right? Um, I just don't think that father, I haven't heard a, a replacement word for father yet. Anyone heard one yet? I don't know. Maybe they'll come up with it, but right now I just think the word father is irreplaceable. And we should stick with Bible words because fatherhood is something that is used to point out that we have a heavenly Father. So let's not make apology, uh, an apology as, as far as being sorry that there are certain words in the Bible. When we start to deconstruct words and they have no meaning, we're, we're heading for chaos, right? So as we look in the text today, um, maybe in my mind there's a presupposition that you understand what the word father means, but Maybe you have no understanding of what good father means. Because maybe you didn't have a good father. Uh, maybe you didn't have a father. So that can be uh, a lot of pain if that was not in your life. And then the way that a bad father leaves a legacy upon his kids uh, can hurt even into adulthood. And can be passed down to the next generation. 
So today, let's break the cycle by grace and see what God intends for a biblical father, a Christian father to be, and then how we can do that. So in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, we find out what a Christian father, a biblical father, is supposed to do. So the big idea here is to bring your children up uh, for God. Bring them up in the nurture, in the admonition of the Lord. So that's the goal. All right, bring your children up for God. So we're going to break this down. First of all, we're, we're given one negative on not how to father, a way that we should not be fathering. So at the beginning of verse 4, and your fathers provoke not your children to the Lord. Um, so these are some of the things I was mentioning earlier. Um, but here's our verse. What are fathers supposed to be doing? Well, from the verse, bringing up their children in the nurture, in the admonition of the Lord. So how do fathers then bring up their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord? And we'll get to that in just a moment from looking at verse 10 of Hebrews 12. But as we, we look at this, we see that they're not to provoke. So we're not supposed to um, bring our children up with an austerity in our lives. Uh, being cruel, unkind, angry, okay? Uh, severity. So there are a lot of angry people in culture, and we don't need to be an angry father, and we don't need to be an austere father where nothing ever pleases you, all right? Uh, even if the kid is working really hard and going out of their way, Nothing's ever right in your eyes. No, don't be that kind of parent. Don't be austere. Uh, so don't irritate. Don't exasperate your children. Um, have a sense of justice, uh, not a sense of injustice in your parenting. And by the way, you reap what you plant. Uh, many years ago, there was a study upon the descendants of Jonathan Edwards. Anybody ever heard that name, Jonathan Edwards? Great uh, colonial uh, Puritan revivalist, all right? But how many of you know of a man by the name of Jax um, Mooks, I think was his last name, uh, who was, lived at the same time? Well, they went through the family tree, and they had... Uh, presidents of colleges and medical doctors and lawyers of Jonathan Edwards' family, and then under uh, this other man uh, who was a criminal and was sent to jail. His descendants were horse thieves and bank robbers and murderers and uh, just degenerates in society. And so it just went down through the centuries and had a, a lasting impon, uh, impact upon generation after generation. And so we reap what we sow when we parent. So God says negatively, don't exasperate your children this way. Uh, do not provoke your children to wrath. Don't make your children to become angry people. There's enough of anger in society. All right, now let's look at the positive thing here that we're supposed to do. Uh, bring them up, all right? Well, up just means a higher walk in life. And the word bring is to accompany them to a place. So spiritually speaking, you've got to be out in front leading if you're going to bring your kids with you to that place. So this means you have to lead by example. So if you want your kids in church, guess what? You have to be in church. If you want your kids to read their Bibles, read your Bible. If you want your kids to serve the Lord, you need to serve the Lord. Uh, if you want them to pray, you need to teach them and model for them how to pray. Uh, if you want your children to be spiritually minded, you have to be spiritually minded. So you bring them with you. So bring them with you on this higher walk. Sometimes we look at these simple words and we forget to take just a moment and examine what they mean. But now this first word, nurture, bring them up in the nurture. Well, this is just a, a general word uh, which could be used in society to educate, to train your children. So the whole process of training and education. 
uh, the cultivation of the mind and the morals. Um, and for the purpose of trying to have a constructive citizen in society. Um, so yeah, you can do all of this without being a Christian father. And Christian fathers can do this as well. They can educate their children. Um, they can see that they're trying to teach good values. Um, I can tell you that perhaps one of the things that parents can work on at Calvary Christian School is teaching their children if they drop something, pick it up. Because there's lots of wrappers that end up on the grounds. And the mower hits them and it turns into a hundred other pieces of, of paper and wrappers and so forth. It was interesting. I was planting a tree out here and uh, dug up about a foot down in the soil one of those uh, foil granola bar wrappers. And I'm thinking, how did it work its way that deep into the soil, you know, without breaking down? So just if you see something, stop and pick it up, right? Teach your kids that in society too. Um, we don't need to look like a third world country, all right? And I've been in third world countries, so I'm not insulting them. But I have seen in the Philippines uh, rivers of plastic flowing out into the ocean, um, so, yeah, we, we do need to try to teach those general things in our society. Hold the door open for people. Be kind to people. Help people, right? Just good morals, good citizens. So, how about their schoolwork? Um, finish high school, right? Um, I know in my family that myself and one other sibling were the first generation to graduate from college. Um, so they were excited about that. You know, here's my child. They're their college graduate. That's a big deal to them, all right? So train your children, educate your children, give them the best education you can, um, and that's a noble goal in society. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not all that a Christian father does, all right? So now we have this other word here, Admonition. Admonition um, is nuthesia in the Greek. It means to exhort, to admonish. Training by word, a word of encouragement, but also a remembrance of correction. So if your children do something wrong, you let them know that they've done something wrong. Now, I remember that when my children would disobey, I would let them know what they have done wrong. Then we would go to the consequences. If it was one of four letter Ds, disobedience, defiance, destruction, or disrespect, it was doomsday on the backside, right? And uh, for other things, it was just, hey, you know what? That was wrong. You shouldn't do that. But then after the correction always came a time of confession, First of all, apologize to your parent, the one that you disobeyed, offended. But then, because the Bible says children obey your parents in the Lord, you also need to ask your Heavenly Father forgiveness as well. So we taught our, taught our children how to confess their sins. Sin is a word in our society that almost doesn't exist anymore. And how many Christians actually take time to confess their sins on a regular basis. And I'm not talking about a weekly religious activity where you go and sit in a confessional booth and confess your no, because I sin a whole lot more than just a couple of times in a week. It might be a couple of times in an hour, right? And so I'm constantly confessing sin. And uh, this week as I was in the Word of God, uh, Several times, the word just corrected my thinking. And I was like, okay, Lord, I've been thinking sinfully. I've not been thinking biblically about this. Please forgive me. Correct my thinking and get this blockhead to remember what I'm supposed to do spiritually. I need the Holy Spirit to help me because I'm just dunce spiritually. Right? I need that help. And so get your children 
to understand, to take correction. And then when they're corrected, don't let them pout. All right? Pouting is just worse than many times the infraction that you're correcting. Don't let them get away with that. God didn't let his children get away with that, the children of Israel. Because when the spies came back from uh, spying out the promised land, uh, Joshua and Caleb were like, we can do this. The other spies were like, no, we can't. And the children of Israel, they believed that what God calls the evil report, and they wept and they cried and they pouted, and God had to have Moses and Aaron intercede for them, and then God had to punish their unbelief. And the generation that came out of Egypt wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and they did not step foot in the promised land, only Joshua and Caleb. But God corrected his children for their pouting. Last week's lesson in Sunday school was not on murmuring nor complaining. And so make sure that you don't let them pout because that's just a sinful attitude. So the act of reminding one of his or her faults or duties. So we're not supposed to let children grow up without care or control. It's not destroying their creative side to tell them no. All right. And uh, by the way, what we're going to learn here today is the Word of God is going to offer us a gold mine of instruction. Because these words that I've shared with you so far, parents can do, even without Christ or a Christian home. But now notice, nurture and admonition, bring them up in the nurture and the admonition, what's the next prepositional phrase? Of the Lord. Okay. So now this is where Nurturing and admonishing children becomes thoroughly Christian. Because we're not leaning upon a blog, parenting blog, to figure this out. We're not leaning upon the resources of Bay Area Parents magazine. We're not going to the self-help section uh, in a bookstore or on Amazon's bestseller list on how to parent. We're going to this book right here to find out how we bring our children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And so Christianity is the only true religion because we're bringing them up in the knowledge of Jesus. You can educate your child and they can be the most brilliant Fool in all the world. That's what an atheist is. He's a brilliant fool. Because they do not believe that there's a God. We can have great and bright and brilliant minds. Do amazing things. Um, You know, this last week I was reading an article. It was a little creepy. Uh, Google fired uh, an AI engineer. You know what AI is? Artificial intelligence. Uh, They fired him for divulging Um, proprietary information and um, I don't know exactly what else that he divulged but he was fired because he said that Google has created AI that can think and have emotions all right and uh, I was thinking to myself okay now that's pretty brilliant of Google right Uh, be able to with algorithms be able to respond emotionally all right, at least linguistically or verbally on a computer screen. Uh, how far are we going to be able to go with technology? That's wonderful. But the sum total of a person's educational abilities, if Christ is not in it, then they've missed out on everything. What shall a man give in exchange for a soul? Paul said, I count everything but loss that I may know Christ. So how are you doing, Christian dad? Are you yourself 
out in front spiritually and then bringing your kids to that spiritual place? Because, yeah, you're, you're giving them a great education. Right on. All right? You're, you're correcting them, giving them good morals. Right on. But now, are you leading them spiritually, showing them what they can be in Christ, what they need to be for Christ and for His kingdom? And so we bring them up in the nurture, in the admonition of the Lord. And so this is completely different kind of parenting than what you're going to get in the world. Now, how do we do that? All right, so that's what we're supposed to do. How can we do that? So turn over to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 10. For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10, talks about uh, the training that we receive from God. Uh, That's a whole passage on spiritual correction, right? Now it says, uh, they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. All right, you know what? In my uh, home growing up, I learned really quick that if you want to have privileges to uh, the train room where my dad built models and uh, it wasn't just model trains, it was airplanes and cars. I learned that when you went in that room, that if you dipped a paintbrush in paint, you cleaned it. Or you weren't back in that room again until you promised that you were going to clean out, clean out paintbrushes. When you used an aerosol can, you tipped it upside down until it ran clear because you weren't going to clog a nozzle on a paint can. Right? And if you used a certain, maybe exacto knife and cutting out model pieces or something like that, working with balsa wood, and you didn't put tools away, you didn't go back in that room. And so there were certain things that, that I learned that were very unique to my home. Now, I know that there are other homes that function that way. Uh, a friend of mine is a general contractor. And um, even in his truck, in the toolboxes of his truck, in the closets of his house, and he even started doing this at church, he would put a tool on the wall, he would take a carpenter's pencil and outline the shape of that tool. And so you knew what tool went on that wall. When you opened up his toolbox and you borrowed a tool, he expected you to put it back in that place because there was an outline of that tool where it went. All right? And so it's his tools. He has the right to do it the way he wants. And so, dads, there are some things that you do in your home. It's perfectly right that you and you alone do in your home. That's your authority under the Lord. After your pleasure, right? There are certain things that you can do. And so that's the positive side of that. And so your, your kids sometimes, and I've seen kids act this way, because I, and I did this too as a kid. I just can't believe, you know, our house rules. But isn't it interesting when you had the kids over to play wiffle ball in the backyard that you had home field rules, all right? So as kids, we didn't understand our expectation of our parents. We thought that was a little crazy, but then when we brought our friends over, we put those expectations on them, all right? And uh, so there's just uh, maybe a double standard there in our thinking. But this is what the authority that a Christian father can do, all right? You have certain things that you do for your pleasure, for your convenience. But the worst thing that we can do is stop there, all right? Because notice what the other part of the verse says. They after their own pleasure. So what's their motive here? Yeah, their own pleasure, not to be inconvenienced. So after you come home from a long day of work and your mind is a vegetable, you want to sit and relax. And then all of a sudden, it's about five minutes before dinner and hangry breaks out, right? And even the dog is going crazy, right? Our dog would go crazy just before dinner. It would run up and down the wall, just rubbing its back and its side against the wall and scratching the wall with its collar because it could smell the food and it would see us setting the table. And it was just going crazy. And then the kids start crying. And then mom begins to get frustrated and she asks for help. 
and then you've got parenting issues to deal with, but all you want to do is just get out of the rocker and go to the table and shovel after shovel. You don't want to deal with those other things, right? Because that's what you can do for your own pleasure. Wrong. Okay? So parenting stops there because we're not doing it for our own pleasure. We're doing it for His pleasure. So this is a goal when it comes to parenting. And moms and dads, you need to understand this. That it's not just what you want in your home that counts. It's what God wants in your home that counts. It's not just you have a certain set of parenting goals, but that God has some goals. And one of those it talks about at the end of, it, of the verse is partakers of his what? How many parenting articles do you read that talk about bringing up kids to be partakers of God's holiness? Zero. Holiness, I think, is something that, as Christians, we've forgotten. Be holy, for I am holy. God, above anything else, wants your child to be holy. Whoa. That's a weighty parental goal, but that's God's goal. Not just for the conveniencing of your parenting, but for the fact that he wants your child to be a partaker of his holiness. Now, the word holiness means unique, separated, alone. So, yes, you're going to raise children that are going to be different than the majority of the people in their generation. Because your children are actually going to think about God and what God desires. They're going to reverence his name. They're going to live with morals. They're not going to experiment sexually because they know that that's not holy. That's not the will of God. Contrary to all the pressures that they're put upon them in society. Um, they're going to respect you as parents. And by the way, parents, you should expect and require respect. And you should expect and require obedience and obedience the first time. Because when God tells us to obey him, he expects it the first time that we obey him. So partakers of his holiness. And so here's a couple of limitations here, all right? So the limitation to human parenting is it's for our own pleasures, but it also says in here, for a few days chastened us. Now that word chastening doesn't mean to, to chastise with beatings or something like that. It, it just means that they trained us. But it was interesting, my, my son, who's now a nurse over in Merced, I, he was here this week and I was talking to him. I said, Tim, do you remember at what age it was when I stopped spanking you? He said, I think maybe it was maybe 10 or 11. And I said, yeah, I think that's about right. All right. So we had won the war by age 10 or 11. But now that he's 27, guess what? There's no way he would let me spank him. Okay, when he was 21, when he was 19, when he was 15, all right, I remember uh, just for the fun of it, I thought I would take on this uh, teenage boy to see how strong he was. I found out how strong he was just in wrestling, okay, and um, so I realized, you know, you can't wrestle with this kid anymore, but I realized too as a parent, I had to accomplish what I was going to accomplish within the first 10 years of his life. Because after that, you can't do it anymore. And that tween years, what we call teenagers, that 10, 11, 12 group, all right, they're beginning to form their own ideas, opinions, and personalities, and you have to respect that. 
You do. But you have to guide it. And you have to fellowship with your children. You cannot force them because that's exasperation. And so that's another limitation. We can only do it for so long and then on another sense, earthly parents pass away. Now, by the grace of God, I have a very strong 90-year-old father. Uh, just a humorous story. Uh, almost 40 years ago, our neighbor uh, decided that a tree was leaning too much, so he went out and, and topped it off, and he left a stump 30 feet in the air for the last 40 years. It fell down this last week. And so um, the neighbor's not in physical shape to do it, and so he called somebody to come over, and uh, they, they bucked it up and threw it in the yard, but they left one round of wood in my dad's yard, and it must have weighed 100 pounds, and there was a fence in between. That so irritated my dad, who's 90, he went and got the axe, <laughs> and he chopped that thing up. And so, yeah, he's strong, all right? And then my sister came over and saw what he was doing and read him the riot act. What are you doing, Dad? You've had two heart attacks. And he's like, I'm 90. You know, leave me alone. And so he, he got it done, right? And so I didn't say anything because, number one, I'm thinking like a guy. Yeah, that, that, that would have irritated me. I would have done that, too. I wasn't thinking as the concerned child like my sister was, right? <laughs> it's like, okay. But uh, he's, he's constantly working on his home. So praise God, you know, by reason of strength, he's lived past 70. He's a strong kind of guy. But, you know, at some point, I'm going to lose my dad. And my mom's already with the Lord. Maybe you've lost your parent. And uh, I tell you, some of the, the best conversations that I have are seeking counsel and advice from my dad, who has nine decades of life. He has 70 years as a Christian. And the things that he's learned and the way that he's walked with the Lord, um, he's still guiding me. I remember years ago, uh, maybe 10 years ago, there was a time where my heart was filled with fear about the future. And he said, you know, son, I was just reading the other day a quote from Corey Ten Boom who said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And that's all I needed. That just settled my heart down. Yeah, I don't know the future, but I do know God. And God takes care of us. But at some point, I'm not going to be able to pick up the phone. And that will be a sad day for me. So at some point, our parenting runs out. So this word chastening literally means child training discipline. And so Paul, talking to the Hebrew Christians... And to the Corinthians, I was listening to the Corinthians uh, letter, and Paul said, I could not write unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto babes in Christ. So Paul was telling the, the Corinthians, you're still baby Christians. You, you've got to mature in the way that you think. Paul was telling these Hebrew Christians on how to respond to God as a heavenly father when he chastens us, we don't become discouraged and faint. None of us likes affliction. And none of us likes to be corrected. Did you like being corrected when you were a child? No, you didn't. And I can tell you, it is an absolute truth that a parent does not like to inflict pain and correction upon a child because it does hurt them. And so Hebrews chapter 12, if you read that expanded context, that God's chastening and correcting, when he does it in our life, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness later on. God is working in your heart as a spiritual parent so that you might be a partaker of his holiness. And he gets the fruit of righteousness in your life. And sometimes that's through correction. And we don't need to throw our arms up and say, where's God? When something hard comes into our life. We don't need to walk away and say, I knew God wasn't there. No, God 
is bringing us up. He's there in front of us. We're just not where he is. God never leaves us nor forsakes us. He's bringing us up that we might be partakers of his holiness. And so here we see um, that he's doing this after his own purpose. What's Romans chapter 8, verse 29? That he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. That's God's parental plan. It would be wise of us to mimic that as Christian parents, that we get our children to look like Jesus. What does Jesus look like? Read the Gospels. Have your children read the Gospels. Uh, How would Jesus act? Well, he would act in holiness. And so how should our children act? Well, in, in holiness. And so, notice also, God's motive is not just his convenience. God's motive is our best. Do you you see that in, in the verse? Where does it say that? That our best is in his intention. Where does it say that in the verse? He for our, our profit. So many times we fall short in earthly parenting because we want our best as parents. But what is actually best for the child? You know, if American statesmen would act with the best interest of the country in mind, we would be a lot better as Americans, right? Not acting according to the interest of constituents or party lines, but acting according to the interest of what's best for the nation. How can we correct Congress? By working in our homes. Teaching them as an individual to think not for their own profit in society, but what is good for the whole. Being a team player. Now, my following illustration, I'm going to lose a whole bunch of you, but I'm going to share it nonetheless. Golden State Warriors just won their fourth NBA championship. Who cares, right? Well, I'll tell you what's going on in that organization. They've been to the NBA Finals six times in eight years. That kind of success is remarkable in any professional sport. But what is behind all of that is that in that organization, they teach egocentric all-star players who get paid millions of dollars every time they shoot the basket, whether the ball at the basket, whether they make it or not, they still get the money for shooting it, right? But they teach them to pass the ball to another teammate who's actually in a better position to make the basket and to surrender their ego for the benefit of the team. And that's something that's being passed down in that culture, and that's why they continuously win, is because they're team-centric not star-centric. So think of this. Be kingdom-centric with your parenting, not home-centric. Be Christ-centric, not parent-centric. Do it for the benefit of the kingdom. Now, I'm just going to close this out. What are some practical points here? Okay, Um, this comes from Deuteronomy chapter six, verse seven. Um, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shall talk of them when thou sittest in thy house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. In other words, relationally, connect the dots. As you go about in society and you have an opportunity to teach your children a spiritual truth, then teach it when you're out and about. If the cashier at the register gives you too much change 
and your kid's smart enough and catches on and, and can count and says, yeah, all right, mom got too much change back, and you realize it too, point it out instead of just taking it, right? Be a person of integrity. If, if someone at the, at the cashier, you know, they're doing something wrong and trying to give you something, um, think of the integrity. It's not, do they have the authority to give you a product for free or at a substantial discounted rate? No, you need to call a manager over and, and be honest and then go up the chain. And if that's the way it works out, when it gets up to the chain, then so be it. But why do we spend our time when we're driving the car looking in the rearview mirror worried about the police officer when we should be looking out the front window to find out what the next speed limit sign is? And the way we do things as we go about in life, when we sit in our home, that's where real religion is worked out. That's where real, genuine Christianity is lived. And I will tell you that I'm a Christian, and then secondarily, I'm a pastor because of a genuine walk with the Lord of my mother and my father. I could not fault them as much as I, and I hate to say it this way, but my sophomore year in high school, I was in rebellion. I hated my parents. When they would pray for me at night, I would be so angry because it wasn't just, and be with Brent, amen. No, it was listing everything that was going on in my life and asking for wisdom and discernment and praying for my faults. I would get so mad that I would start humming. And then I would put a pillow over my head. And then I would lift the pillow off and I would stop humming and they would still be praying for me so I would put the pillow back on I would go to humming. All right? I was so angry at them and I really took it out on my mom. I wish I would never have done that. But praise God that they prayed for me. And they were doing it for my best interest, for the Savior's best interest, for the kingdom's best interest. So some practical things, all right? Here's just a closing poem. The name of the poem is Too Busy. Too busy to read the Bible. Too busy to wait and pray. Too busy to speak out kindly to someone by the way. Too busy to care and struggle to think of life to come. Too busy building mansions to plan for the heavenly home. Too busy to help a brother who faces the winter's blast. Too busy to share his burdens when self in the balance is cast. Too busy for all that is holy on earth and beneath the sky. Too busy to serve the master, but not too busy to die. Are we too busy to get our consistency down? And so this is a pastor talking to his congregation to exhort you to consistency. COVID has, has wreaked havoc, not just upon Calvary Baptist Church, but upon the church in general, because people have gotten out of a faithful habit. If you read the New Testament, it was Jesus' custom to be in house of God every week. It was a custom. When the church doors are open, be at church. Uh, read the Bible in your home. My father would read the Bible with us. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I'm stunned. He memorized the whole book of Hebrews. And he would just add one verse each day. And then at dinner time, uh, we would listen to him recite it. And then after he was done reciting it, we would discuss it. And as it got longer, we just listened. Right, But uh, I can remember going through Leviticus and asking all kinds of questions. What are issues? Okay, And getting those awkward junior high answers that junior hires don't like to hear. Right? But praise God, I had a parent that wasn't afraid to read the Bible and talk about what's in Leviticus. All right? And explain things to me. Pray together. Connect everyday activities to spiritual realities. Attend church together. Support the youth ministries of your church by making them a priority in your child's schedule. Ouch. Okay? Serve together in a ministry in your local church. 
Uh, do you remember Pastor Larry and Leslie Ball, the former pastor here? Do you know Leslie's sister? How many of you know Shirley Armstrong? Okay, some of you might know them. Uh, she's a pastor's wife up in Antioch, California. They have a Hispanic ministry, runs several hundred people. Um, but uh, Shirley's uh, and Leslie's parents attended Cornerstone. That's where I was pastoring up in, in Concord. And um, when they died, we helped cleaned out the house. So they had Sunday school um, manuals that went back to the 1950s. And we were kind of amazed by that. But uh, I remember what Leslie and Shirley said um, about their mom. That she would put them in the car and tote the kids everywhere when she went to do spiritual ministry. She included them in spiritual ministry. So she would go out visiting. The kids would go visiting. She would go over to take dinner to somebody's house who was sick. The kids went with her. Um, they did everything together as a family. They served together as a family. So I encourage you, serve together as a family. Um, maybe you can write missionaries as a family. Maybe you can clean the church or be involved in mowing the, the grounds and, and so forth. So there's lots of things that you can do. But these are practical things. If you want your children to turn out for Christ, and then dad, you got to bring them with you as you're there. Bring your children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Educate them religiously. Admonish them spiritually. But bring them up for the Lord. Have his purpose in mind, not just your own. So this is how you can do these things. I encourage you, if you already raised your kids and you've done a good job, now I'm not talking about the fact that your kids may have turned out right. If you did parenting right and your kids didn't turn out right, it's not your fault. You did what God asked you to do. They have a heart. They have to respond to the Lord themselves. But if you've done that, if you've raised kids biblically and you're done, maybe it's raise your grandkids or maybe it's find a, a home that's broken and invest in that home for the sake of your